Hi, we are excited to bring you this video series and we believe that you will agree with us that the findings from our studies are overwhelming and at the very least calls for attention from all prophecy students. As we all continue to grow in our understanding of the scriptures, it is our prayer that we always keep an open heart to the Spirit as He tweaks our understanding along the way. This video series will cover multiple topics in Bible prophecy. There is no shortage of theories as it relates to end-time prophecy, and many are in contradiction with one another. We hope that we can offer some clarity and new perspective on such things, as well as offer some new insight to bring to the table. At the very least, we expect to prompt some new and interesting discussion and thinking on these matters. Obviously, we do not claim to have everything figured out, and we are definitely open to adjusting and tweaking from other perspectives. We simply want to maintain an environment of testing everything, even the topic of end times. So, get a notebook, grab a pen, and by all means, open your Bible as we study the Word. to go over the three layers of interpretation to the 70 weeks of Daniel. This is not where one interpretation is right and the others are wrong. All three of these interpretations of the same verses actually work in harmony with each other. The verses are Daniel 9, 24 through 27. They read as follows. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and 
your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out upon him. The first interpretation is the traditional position held by most believers. The 70 weeks are actual weeks of years, 490 years. They began at the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. This went forth in Nehemiah chapter 2. With this date as the beginning, the first 69 weeks, 483 years, reaches the Anointed One. We are now waiting for the 70th week to be completed. Though this is the traditional view, there are actual several variations to it. The most dominant position is basically that the Antichrist will come and sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. This will include the rebuilding of the temple and sacrifices reinstated. In the middle of the seven, the Antichrist will break the treaty and do away with the sacrifices. It will be at this time when he makes war against the saints and conquers them until the return of Christ. Though we respect this view, we respectfully disagree with it. We believe there is another view that holds more credibility. When Daniel 9.27 says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, it does not mean that the covenant will only last for one seven, but rather it will take one seven to confirm the covenant. Many are coming to understand this view, so allow us to explain. First, we know Christ came to establish the new covenant. Yet, according to Jeremiah 31, we know we are not living in the complete fulfillment of the new covenant just yet. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. There is no doubt that we are in the new covenant, but it is also obvious we are still telling our family and neighbors to know the Lord. Thus, the new covenant has not been fully actualized. Christ began confirming this covenant with his ministry on earth, and it will be completed at the end of the tribulation, just before the millennium. The fact that we are in the new covenant is validated in the examination of the Hebrew word often translated as confirm in Daniel 9.27. Specifically, the word used is higber and the root word is gabar. According to Strong's, it simply means to be strong, to strengthen, or prevail. Thus, there is a difference between making a seven-year covenant and strengthening an already existing one. The only covenant mentioned in Daniel chapter 9 is the covenant in verse 4. Daniel 9, 4 says, And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments. Which, of course, Daniel is referencing God's covenant with us. Our part of the covenant is loving God back by obeying through a desire to keep his commandments. This is why 1 John chapter 5, verses 2-3 through 3 states that we love God by keeping his commandments. God wants to strengthen the covenant with us by calling us back to his ways, which is really about teaching us how to love God and others. As already quoted from Jeremiah, keeping God's law is the whole point of the new covenant. The central purpose of the new covenant is to write his law on our heart, meaning that if we want to learn his laws and do them, his spirit is given to us to assist with that purpose. According to Daniel 9.27, this strengthening of the covenant is to occur for seven years and be solidified in full at his return. We will increase in knowledge and wisdom, which is God's law, leading up to his return by the leading of the Spirit. This is how the covenant is strengthened. Eventually, we will not have to teach others his ways, and the new covenant will be in full effect. When Christ returns, he teaches the law himself, according to Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. So, while some teach that Daniel 9.27 speaks of a seven-year covenant that the Antichrist makes, we see that Daniel 9.27 speaks of an existing covenant that is confirmed and strengthened. The word for making or creating is not even used in the text. Since the word used is gabar, how would the Antichrist strengthen any covenant with many for seven years since he breaks the supposed covenant at some point. That means he is doing the exact opposite of strengthening it. It was Christ himself who did away with the need of sacrifices at the cross. Sacrifices did continue after the cross, but they were remembrance of what Christ had done. 
Hebrews 8 elaborates on this for us. Hebrews 8, 4. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Notice how Yeshua could not be priest on earth in verse 4. It is because the law, which has not been done away with, already calls for the Levites to serve in that position. So, sacrifices continued, but only as a shadow of remembrance. The verse in Daniel says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. The Hebrew word used for middle here in the verse is chatzi. The root word has the implication of dividing, to make separate. It can mean, depending on the text, in the exact middle or in the midst. For example, when it is used in measurements of cubits, it is generally accepted that it means in the exact middle. However, when it is used in counting the number of people, such as the tribes of Israel, it was used in a general form. Meaning, when the half-tribe of Manasseh is referred to, it does not mean that the number of people were divided exactly in half, but rather that the tribe was simply divided in two. The number of people on either side bore no weight to the issue. It was simply declaring the tribe was divided, and the author was referencing one of those divisions. So, as we see, this word used concerning the seven years, we should not force one interpretation of the word when the other interpretation bears just as much weight. So, in the midst of the seven, as also taught in Hebrews, Christ transferred the duties of the human priests over to himself for the heavenly temple. Though the role of the priest and the sacrifices in the temple on earth were to continue to serve as reminders for us after the cross, in the eyes of God, the need for man's sacrifices were brought to an end as Christ now continues to offer daily intercession. Many refer to verse 26 regarding the timing of the crucifixion, and this is true. However, there is far more to the picture. Let's read verse 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. This verse literally takes us from the end of the 62 sevens up to the very end of the last seven that is still to be completed. It must be noted that the end of the 62 sevens is the end of all the first 69. It shows the beginning and the end of the last seven when Yeshua began strengthening the covenant to when he completes it. It's cramming 2,000 years into one verse. Let's read the verse again. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. 
The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. It's a general overview of what's given in verse 27. So, what happens after the 62 sevens referred to in verse 26? Christ begins the last seven with the start of his ministry at his baptism. Verse 27 picks back up after the overview in verse 26 and starts with the anointed one beginning the seven-year process of establishing the new covenant. Then, in the midst of the last seven, he is cut off, bringing an end to the daily sacrifices. It is the next part of verse 27 that brings confusion for many. Let's read it from the NIV. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Undoubtedly, this part of the verse makes it appear that the first half of the verse must be referring to the Antichrist. However, even the interpreters of the NIV give another interpretation in their footnotes that better match the Hebrew text. It reads, And one who causes desolation will come upon the pinnacle of the abominable temple until the end that is decreed is poured out on the desolated city. This gives a much clearer picture as to what should be seen in this verse. The first half of the verse is referring to the anointed one, where the last half of the verse is referring to the one who later comes and causes desolation. Other versions give clear definition and distinction between the anointed one and the one who sets up the abomination as well. The New American Standard Bible reads, And on the wing of the abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. The New King James, And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And the American Standard Version, And upon the wing of abominations shall come one that maketh desolate, and even unto the full end, and that determined shall wrath be poured out upon the desolate. It is clear that verse 27 has two different individuals mentioned within it. We shouldn't confuse the verse to force an interpretation to fit one's own paradigm. Interestingly enough, it is the latter part of this verse that Christ himself refers to in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 20. It reads, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter 
or on the Sabbath. Here he tells the people to flee when seeing the fulfillment of this verse. In referring to this verse, why wouldn't he tell them to look for the seven-year covenant and to make sure they were out before the abomination was revealed in the middle of it? There would be no need then for the people to flee in a hurry if they were looking for the peace treaty three and a half years earlier. However, we see that the only reference Christ makes to this prophecy in Daniel is the abomination that causes desolation. He then gives specific directions to flee without looking back. This tells us that there is no peace treaty three and a half years earlier. The only event in this prophecy that was and is yet to be fulfilled is the coming of the one who causes desolation. We'll cover what makes the desolation in more detail in a moment. So the first layer of interpretation to this verse shows it to be in weeks of years, 70 weeks of years, 490 years total. The first 69 weeks are completed. We are waiting for the last week, seven years, to still be completed. This takes us to the second possible layer of Daniel's 70 weeks. The first layer was interpreted as weeks of years. The second layer is simply just weeks. This shows where the ministry of Christ from baptism to Pentecost lasts exactly 70 weeks, just 490 days. This obviously goes against the traditional belief of Christ's ministry lasting three and a half years. Though either of these views could be correct, we wanted to at least make this view known as the understanding of it is beginning to grow. We personally may not be 100% solid on this view ourselves, but we definitely lean to this understanding as being correct. However, since this view bears no leverage in either direction to our timeline, we are choosing to not explain it out at this time. The details would simply take far too long to explain, and honestly, we are not confident that our explanation would give it justice at this time. We'll show how this view fits into the end times a little later. However, if you would like to study this view in detail, we suggest Michael Rood on this particular topic. He covers it quite well in his video titled, The Jonah Code. So then, we have the first layer in weeks of years, the possible second layer in just weeks, and now we'll see the possible third layer in just years. Daniel shows the 70 weeks begin at the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. A similar event took place on November 29th of 1947 in the UN. This decree came to fruition on May of 1948, when Israel was once again recognized as a nation. When we go forward seven sevens, just in years, and 62 sevens, just in years, totaling 69 years, it takes us to the year of 2016. The year 2016 would be the start of the 70th seven, 70th year. Again, the first layer is in weeks of years. It says 70 sevens, meaning 70 times seven years, equaling 490 years. This is the time between the rebuilding of the temple 
in Nehemiah to the Messiah, plus the last seven. Then the second possible layer, 70 weeks, meaning 70 times 7 days, equaling 490 days. This is the length of the ministry of Christ. Then the third possible layer, 70 years, simply 70 years. This is the time from the decree for Israel to be a nation, which happened in the UN in 1947, to the return of Christ in 2016, having him return on the 70th year. More specifically, as you'll see, the Feast of Trumpets, also known as Rosh Hashanah. This could very well be the year that the Lord establishes his kingdom on earth for the millennium and finalizes the new covenant to where all men will know him and no one will need to tell their neighbor about him. I'm sure that there are some at this moment who think that this is just another date setting that will come and go just like the others. However, as you will see, this is far different. 2016 is not just linked to the decree of 1947. It is also the 50th year, a jubilee year, from the Six-Day War, when Israel recaptured Jerusalem in 1967. A jubilee falls on every 50th year and is designed for all property to be given back to its rightful owner. In 1967, God saw to it that Jerusalem was given back to its rightful owners. This obviously means that sometime in the near future, Jerusalem will be in the hands of someone other than Israel. And that brings us to our next topic, Matthew 24, 15 through 20. So, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Again, the verse starts out saying, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The message here is to flee to the mountains with urgency the second they see the abomination. There obviously is no three and a half year warning sign given. It will be just like when the angels told Lot to leave with his family in Genesis 19. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. When the eyes of the people are opened and see the abomination, we'll see another exodus of biblical proportions. It is at this time we need to pause and take some time to explain exactly what the abomination that causes desolation is. We believe the abomination that causes desolation is actually rebellion against the Lord. Sounds strange at first, I know, but consider Daniel 8:13. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? 
the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary, and the host that will be trampled underfoot. We see here that the cause of the desolation is rebellion. What is rebellion? It is a willful turning away from God's ways. Compare 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. First we see a rebellion occurs, and then the man of lawlessness, just as Daniel reveals it. The word used for rebellion here in 2 Thessalonians is the word apostasia. This word is only used one other time in all of Scripture. It's found in Acts 21.21, and it reads, They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from, apostasia, Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. We'll touch on this verse in more detail in a later teaching of this series. But, it's clear in 2 Thessalonians that Paul is talking about rebelling against the ways of the Lord, His law, in the end times. Let's dig deeper into Daniel and see how he expounds on this issue. Since we covered 8.13, let's back up and look at verse 12. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. This verse is simply expounding on verse 11, but stating the cause. The cause was that of the rebellion. Knowing that the host of believers and the daily sacrifice are given over, as the text says, we have to ask how it came to be. So, let's read verses 10 and 11. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. Notice that it says it reached the host of the heavens. The host of the heavens are the believers. It is clear that this is when the Antichrist will be operating within the days of authority given to him to conquer the saints. I've heard it mentioned before that this verse is referencing the fall of Satan and the fallen angels, but the context clearly shows it is the Antichrist that is being discussed as he reaches the believers. Much confusion has been given concerning the latter part of this verse, concerning the starry host being thrown down and trampled. It must be made clear that this is when the Antichrist will attack the leadership of the believers first. Does it make sense? Consider in Revelation when John first sees Christ. Revelation chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands one like the Son of Man. Verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars. Revelation 1.20 then explains, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, 
and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Christ was standing in the midst of the lampstands and holding seven stars in one hand. We are later told that the lampstands are the churches and the stars are the angels, the leaders of the churches. It would appear that when the Antichrist attacks, he attacks the leadership first. Strike the shepherd, scatter the sheep. Daniel 8.11 It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Here we see the Antichrist making himself as Christ and taking the daily sacrifice from him. It then states that the place of the sanctuary was brought low. From the time after Pentecost, according to Paul, believers are considered the place of the sanctuary. Consider 1 Corinthians 3.16 Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. 2 Corinthians 6.16 What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The question then must be asked, what is the daily sacrifice that is taken away. Consider Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When the time comes, the Antichrist will allow no one to worship the one true God. This section of verses here in chapter 8 of Daniel parallels with chapter 11, verses 30 through 35. Consider the following. Daniel 11:30. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. This is the rebellion. Here we see the Antichrist will attack those who follow God's covenant, but give favor to those who reject it. This parallels with Revelation chapter 12, verses 17 and 14, 12. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And Revelation 14:12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. The next two verses of Daniel 11 explains how he does this. Daniel 11:31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then 
they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. This could be read as follows. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress, the believers, and will abolish the daily sacrifice, praise and worship to Yahweh. Then they will set up the abomination, begin the persecution that creates rebellion, denial, that causes desolation, those fleeing the city. He accomplishes the persecution of the church through his armed forces. The latter part of the verse, then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation, only has three words in the Hebrew. They are Netanyahu, Shekuts, and Meshomum, meaning that it's the persecution from the army that is creating abomination, rebellion, thus making the land desolate. So, when the persecution of the church by the army of the Antichrist begins, so does the desolation. Thus, the setting up of the abomination is the persecution of believers. This is why the Lord tells his followers to flee and not look back in Matthew 24. When they see the army that brings forth the desolation by way of persecution that causes rebellion, there will be no doubt those in Judea will be first affected. This parallels much of what is expected in the Muslim world regarding the coming of the Mahdi, their Messiah. Their version of the prophet Jesus comes and gathers the army for the Mahdi to conquer the infidels. It is this army that is in place first and that which Yeshua said to flee to the mountains when that time comes. Daniel 11.32 With flattery he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Here we see the favor of the Antichrist to those who forsake and rebel against the Holy Covenant, in contrast to those who choose not to. Daniel 11.33 Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword, or be burned, captured, or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless, until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. We must note that those mentioned here who do not violate the covenant are a completely separate group of individuals from those who are striving to keep the covenant today. We will cover this in more detail in a later teaching of this series, but for now, it is suffice to say that those who strive to keep the covenant with the Father today will be taken to a place prepared, kept out of reach. You may be wondering by now what exactly happened to the seven-year time frame, because if the Feast of Trumpets of 2016 is the end of those seven years, then Trumpets of 2009 should have been the start of this time frame. And, in counting the full seven years, this is correct. However, we must remember that the confirming of the covenant began with the ministry of Christ. So, the seven-year time clock started at his ministry. His ministry lasted 70 weeks. Thus, the first 70 weeks of the seven years are already completed. 
So, though we should count the full seven years from Trumpets of 2009, we must understand that these first 70 weeks have already been fulfilled with Christ's ministry. This completed 70-week time frame came to an end on January 22nd of 2011. It is at this time we believe that the confirming of the covenant may have resumed and allow us to say that since that time much has escalated, keeping this interpretation open for critique. So, let's read the words of Christ in Matthew 24 to set the context. Matthew 24, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. It says here that these are the beginning of the birth pains. It's possible that the birth pains may very well begin at the resuming of the confirmation of the covenant. It says we will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Luke's rendering on the same account says, when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. On January 25th, just three days after January 22nd, the revolution in Egypt began. And, as everyone knows, many nations in the Muslim world followed suit in their riots against their governments. Since the time of this recording, the end of June of 2011, these revolutions and unrest are still active in these Muslim nations. And let us not forget the major earthquake in Japan just two months later. So, are revolutions and uprisings in the Muslim world new? Of course not. Are large earthquakes new? Of course not. We are simply observing and sharing our findings. It must be noted that birth pains come and go, so it is very plausible for these very things to slow down, some, but the pains come back harder and faster. Even if one chooses to hold that Christ's ministry lasted three and a half years, it would only mean that the first three and a half years of Christ confirming the new covenant is completed. Nothing changes except for the day when the confirming of the covenant resumes. However, if this is the beginning of the birth pains, there will be more to come. We hope you've enjoyed the second teaching. Remember, continue to test everything. Shalom.